there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is John Budi from Taylor and Budi Organ Builders. He is originally from Wakefield, Massachusetts and graduated from University of Maine with a Bachelor of, of Arts in Music. He apprenticed with Fritz Nowak from 1966 to 1968, then served in the U.S. Army from 1968 to 1970, during which he spent 13 months in Vietnam. In 1970, he apprenticed with uh, Fritz Nowak again and then with John Brombo in Germantown, Ohio from 1971 to 1977. In 1977, John Brombo moved his shop to Eugene, Oregon and John Booty and George Taylor founded uh, Taylor and Booty Organ Builders. He moved to Staunton in 1979 where he lives with his wife Janet. Aside from organ building, he enjoys cross-country skiing, biking, gardening, and singing with the choir at Trinity Episcopal Church in Staunton. John and Janet have two children and three grandchildren. In this conversation, John and I talk about his creative career in organ building, especially in historically oriented organ building, his interests with North German style organs and uh, what he learned over the years. And uh, he even shares his vision for the future of the organ building too. So if you are interested in knowing what's around the corner in our profession, especially when it comes to building instruments, I think you will be delighted to, to listen to this conversation. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, John, for joining this conversation. Uh, I'm so delighted finally to talk to you about uh, your long career in uh, uh, fantastic organ building uh, uh, and, of course, your organs. And uh, they are well known in in entire world and especially for lovers of uh, historically... Uh, minded organ building techniques right uh, so thank you so much for your time and generosity and welcome to the show thank you do you remember uh, john the time when you first uh, fell in love with the organ when you were little can you share us the story uh, i went to a, a baptist church in massachusetts in new england and in that church was a uh, E and G G Hook and Hastings organ that was built in 1860. Right. And right. every I was singing in the junior choir and every year the choir director as a prize for the good behavior of the choir took us into the organ and through the organ and I always remember that time of going in and seeing the the great pipes of the double open wood and it was um an amazing thing we could see the bellows we could see the metal pipes uh we could see the tracker action and i thought that was a wonderful thing 
So, as I understand, you were fascinated by the complexity with the instrument itself, right? Rather than the music, rather than the sound. Am I right? Uh, I think it was both, because I remember um, at the end of church, when the other choir children would go away, I would go up and sit on the organ bench with the organist and pull stops and turn the pages and... Uh, enjoy the sound of the organ. So I think it was both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, were you were you interested in learning more about uh, pr- playing the instrument, or more about how it is constructed and uh, how you can later maybe build some of the things yourself? Uh, I think it was more about the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I played the organ a little bit, but I was never well-coordinated on the keyboard. And um, my life has been spent in music, but more as a choir singer and uh, a soloist. So um, music has been my life, but not organ playing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, uh, uh, we have to be grateful to people who... Uh, first introduced uh, to us this magnificent instrument, right? If if it uh, weren't for them, uh, maybe our lives might have been different, don't you think? Oh, yes. And the other thing, my other experience in my early life was in the in the summertime, I sang in a choir that was um, up in New Hampshire. It was for a church that was closed all winter. And we opened the church in the summertime, and there was a small pipe organ in there. And every year, we had to clean out the all the the nuts and um, all the berries and things that the squirrels put in the organ. So we had to take out all the pipes and vacuum the top of the the organ and clean out everything. So the organist knew I was interested in the pipe organ. So he let me come and help him do that, and I remember that very clearly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what happened uh, later, uh, John? How did you really uh, um, develop this idea into going into this profession of organ building, basically making it into your career, a long life career, right? Lifelong. The o- it's the only thing I've ever done mm-hmm. <laughs> in my whole life. Um, I I went to the University of Maine in Orono, Maine, and when I went to the University of Maine, I thought um, I was already interested in woodworking and uh, and working with my hands. And I thought if I went into the school of and studied forestry, that that would be a good thing. Wood technology. Mm-hmm. So I I spent the first year in uh, wood technology but at at the time i had um collected a lot of recordings of organ music like e power biggs um he he published a, a a recording called the organ which had recordings of many of the european old european organs and so i already had a lot of recordings and i became interested in the radio station at the university of maine And it was a very small radio station. I think we had uh, 40 watts of power, so it was very low power. 
and uh, nobody there knew anything about classical music, so I became the broadcaster of classical music. And I did, I, I made a program called Organ Masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And one hour every week, I played organ music and talked about the organs to the people in uh, our listening audience. So I started collecting more and more recordings. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, um, there were a number of European um, organists who were, who were very, very good at the time. Um, uh, Helmut Valsha, of course, and uh, and uh, uh, Rene uh, Saragin, the French organist. Um, uh, there were just a whole number of those people that I had those recordings, and I became more and more interested in the organ at that time. And you know, back then when you had a record, a vinyl record. You had a big book that went with it, and very often they had the whole specification of the organ, and they had drawings of the organs and and uh, how the mechanical action worked and the history, um, how many times the organ had been restored and who did those restorations. So I learned a lot about the European organ culture at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and at the same time, um, in in the rural parts of Maine and and. Maine, Maine is quite a rural state. There were many small churches at that time that were throwing away their pipe organs and buying electronic organs. And I was given several organs at that time to take out. So I got my hands on the pipes, on the organs, and I successfully took organs apart and moved them. And I, I even bought myself a little truck so that I could load the organs up and take them to new places. Wow, that that was a tremendous service you did uh, back then. Uh, not only with with those moving organ parts, right? But uh, but um, with organ radio broadcasts, right? And it was probably before anything, uh, before before internet, right? Before before uh, pipe dreams, right? It right. was it was pioneering idea I would say John um, and uh, a lot of organists probably enjoyed your broadcast back then how, how long did it go on air uh, it was about two years two, uh, so second, uh, my third and my fourth year at the university mm-hmm. and at the same time I started there was an active organ building scene and organ culture around the Boston, Mm -hmm. um, Massachusetts area. And, um, of course, Charles Fisk was there and Fritz Nowak. Fritz Nowak was trained in the Becquerat shop in Hamburg. Um, And so I looked for those builders and I applied for work. So two summers, um, I... I worked with Fritz Nowak um, in his workshop, so that was my first real training in organ building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did you learn from Fritz Nowak? Can you, can, can you say? Of course, you learn many things. Many things, but what was the most important, perhaps, thing for you back then that you learned from Fritz Nowak? Uh, the concept of the pipe organ as a 
as a highly integrated um, musical instrument, that it's not just a, a number of parts put together, but it, mm-hmm. it's more like a harpsichord or a piano where all the sum of all the mechanical things makes a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. And I think there were not a lot of organ, there wasn't a lot of organ building going on in, in the United States at that time where, where that concept was, uh, was primary. Right. So he brought Fritz and, and of course Charles Fisk had that idea too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the early, their early organs from Charles Fisk from that time that are highly unified in complete instruments, you know, in a, in an artistic sense. And, and that includes the architecture of the casework and, uh, the playing action as being really important to the success of the instrument and the, pipe design and scaling being a unified whole that makes the organ successful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and of course you studied with John Brombo right later on um, where were your experiences with uh, uh, Fritz Nowak and John Brombo different in any way or or um, of course they were great colleagues and uh, uh, fantastic masters of their trade um, and maybe, uh, in a way, they are a little bit related because they both are historically oriented organ builders. Uh, but um, did you learn something different from John than from Fritz? Uh, by the time I went to John Brumbaugh, I was very much a not a learning person, but I was a part of the firm, and I already had my own ideas about mm-hmm. organ building mm-hmm. and. And Fritz was like Baccarat, and if you look at the Baccarat organs at, at that time, Baccarat was strongly influenced like by the Schnitger organs, especially Koppel and other organs like that. But if you look at a Baccarat organ, it was a modern uh, mechanical thing, the mm-hmm. whole the tracker <clears throat> action and how, how the interior was built, and he used modern materials. And Fritz Nowak also took that Baccarat way of building and used modern materials. He used plywood and and uh, aluminum parts and things like that. But when we got to John Brumbaugh, John had this idea that we could back up and we could go back to a real historic way of building uh, a pipe organ. So in 19... 19- 72, we made an organ um, in Toledo, Ohio, at Ashland Avenue Baptist Church. And it was the first time we made an organ that had a completely historic aesthetic, mm-hmm. all, solid, mm-hmm. all solid wood construction. The, the, the way we put the case together was like the old organs. Um, the, the wind chests were made all with solid wood we we racked the pipes by burning the rack boards with the hot irons we were interested in um, pipes that were made out of old alloy of high lead um, and we hammered some of those pipes we just we kept going back to Europe and looking at the European prototypes and I think um, I think we were very successful at capturing the the real spirit of the Schnitger organs at the time and other organs that were 
even earlier than Schnitger. Mm-hmm. And of course, John, um, 1970s were the time was a time when America um, saw a great explosion of interest in in historic and organ building, don't you think? Uh, for example, Gene Bidian's Opus 8 at uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Lincoln, Nebraska. Do you remember this instrument uh, uh, was also built in, in, in around that time, 1977, I believe. Uh, yeah. Now it's in another, in another place, in St. Thomas Aquinas um, uh, 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 Church in the same town. But, uh, but uh, it seemed to be uh, this idea of historically-minded um, uh, uh, building the instruments... Uh, the place was ready, right? The, the country was ready to... Uh, organists, first of all, also were uh, more or less ready to to uh, to have those n- new or old ideas, right? And, um, and organ builders were ready, don't you think? And I, I think we always said that, that when the Americans went to Europe and studied the old organs, we could see how they were made. And we always said, well, Flintrop's restored uh, this organ and that organ, um, but but they didn't see. So they did a good job restoring the old organs, but when they made a new organ, they didn't capture that same spirit. Mm-hmm. But we, but we as Americans, I think we were more open-minded, and so we we accepted the 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 real spirit of the historic organ building. And, and the other thing that was going on in, in America at that time, there was a, not only an explosion of historic practice in organ building, but in all types of music, in string instruments, and in harpsichord building, and uh, early music orchestras, and the New York Pro Musica was a very influential group. It was just, um, it was all over the place. So, I think the organ builders really fit in with that, mm-hmm. and and um, and there are also organists that went um, that at the end of the Second World War that ended up in Germany. They were in the military, and they were right there at the very earliest time in 1945 and 46, when there were many instruments that had not been restored. They could go out and see the authentic instruments, and they came back, um, the organists had a tremendous influence on on us as um, as, or, as organ builders. Mm-hmm. So that was a, you know, it was a, the organ builders just can't go out and build the organ, they, someone has to buy it and, and finance the organ, and they were, they were organists who were very interested in that aesthetic of building. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, the Americans were we're pretty much ahead of the Europeans at that time as far as their uh, assimilation of of the historic style. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some, there was some work like uh, we we always looked at Jurgen Arend's work, and there were some of the early Arend uh, Arend and Brunsema organs, like the organ in Aurich, that had a good spirit of historic. Um, building, but other iron organs we didn't think captured that, like the iron organ at um, in Eugene at the uh, University of Oregon. 
we always thought, well, Aaron could do great restoration work. And we went like to Leiden to the Hochlanzekirk where Aaron really, he didn't restore the Jandetzwart organ, but he kind of recreated it. And that organ is fantastic. There, there Aaron took historic material and brought it back to life. He didn't have an advisor telling him exactly what to do, but he he took the old pipes that still existed and the old parts that still existed. He essentially made a new organ, but all those old things inspired him to build an organ that was better than anything else. That's completely true. I think Americans were well ahead of, of uh, the entire world and basically leading leading the movement of historical organ building into the future and uh, organists were also a big part of that right uh, they read new all treatises in original languages and of course uh, scholars published uh, facsimile editions right and made translations uh, into english it was a, a complex phenomenon right to mm-hmm. um, basically which like the like the republishing of Don Bedos. Yeah, 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 true. It's a big, uh, a big influence on us that we actually could have our hands on the full-size uh, copy of Don Bedos in reprint. That was, a, that was a very wonderful thing for us. And we didn't build organs in the, that French style, but just uh, we learned a lot about the technique of building organs from reading those books. Mm-hmm. And people like Fenner Douglas, who wrote a number of books on performance practice, we read those books and learned a lot about the performance practice of, of the earlier times. So it all went together. Mm-hmm. And we, had, we, were, we were so fortunate that when George Taylor and I started, we had um, some great opportunities as Taylor and Booties. When we started in 1977, we had some great opportunities to build significant organs, and especially our Opus 9 at Holy Cross uh, College in Worcester, Massachusetts. James David Christie had us build that organ, and it's a big room. It's like a European church. It has a brilliant acoustic, and we were able to build a big organ in this classical style. And I always hesitate to say Baroque because people associate Baroque organs with this kind of squeaky neo-Baroque sound. We never built a Baroque organ. We built another kind of organ. And I always say classical, but that was a big organ. It was 52 stops Mm -hmm. on four manuals. It was a real 16-foot organ um, and and, uh, highly unified in the design of the pipework and the alloys and how the reeds and the flues work together. And I always remember um, when there was a a Boston Congress of the International Society of Organ Builders. So all the European organ builders came to Boston for that meeting, and they brought them to Worcester. And we, uh, James David Christie demonstrated the organ. We played it. We pumped the organ by hand. And after that, they could see the organ, and, and we always said it was like when the sharks are tearing apart a body, it was a feeding frenzy. They all went crazy looking at the organ, because they had never heard anything like that in Europe, mm-hmm. except the old organs. Right. 
So it must have been the one of the oldest, <coughs> oldest sounding instruments in America, right? It still is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, perhaps um, besides uh, this fantastic instrument uh, that that you restored um, in Salem, right? Uh, um, the tannin. Exactly, yeah. Tannenberg. Uh, well, that's a whole different aesthetic in building the David Tannenberg, because it's uh, it's a it's a particular Moravian organ, which has a very gentle sound. Uh huh. And, we, uh -huh. and the Holy Cross organ that we built in 1984 and finished in 1985, it's a very intense and has, I always say it has lots of core to it. There's a, The chorus has a very rich and dark sound, and uh, unlike any other, but really powerful instrument. And John, uh, what were the most challenging uh, uh, thing for you Back then, when you were started uh, working with uh, with uh, with George and and um, basically at that period, what what challenges you encountered, and um, maybe you overcome, of course, them. But uh, it's interesting to remember those. Well, we were we were building a workshop, and we started with nothing, mm -hmm. and. That's a very difficult thing to do because you, when you start building instruments, you need all the tools. So we had to put all these things together. And many many of the things that we needed to know, there was no record. Like the alloys of the metal. Right. And we had some really fortunate experiences in Europe and we met people like Kor Etzkis mm -hmm. who was extremely knowledgeable and had done lots and lots of research and George and I were able to help Kor Etzkis take the pipes out of the Schnitger organ and the Akerk in Groningen mm -hmm. when the church was in danger of collapsing because the The ground under the church had had subsided because of the change of the water table in Holland. The church was in danger of fall, literally falling down. So they had um, they had put steel um, beams around all the columns of the church, but they still didn't know if it was stable. So we helped remove all the Schnicker pipes, the front pipes, the Um, all the inside pipes, we took all the wind chests, we took apart the act playing action, and we helped put the organ in storage. We moved it across town to the Martini Church and, and put the organ in storage. So this was an invaluable thing for us to touch. You know, when you touch a pipe, you learn you can learn a lot about it. Metal thickness and how the alloys feel. And we blew a lot of pipes by mouth as we were doing that. Not only Schnicker pipes, but um, there were there were pipes in in that organ, in the Akerk organ, that were from uh, uh, Andreas Demar, much older than Schnicker, because it was very common to reuse the old material in organ building. Mm -hmm. So we that was an invaluable experience to just um, handle and examine. Uh, those pipes 
the other thing that was a great break for us is that we were given um, some pipes um, by Martin Vente, and Vente was another early uh, researcher and a person who really appreciated the old organs, and Vente um, gave us um, some pipes from uh, a really old organ from Niehoff, the organ in Schoenhoven, and we had that um, metal uh, analyzed by uh, spectrographic analysis. And so we learned um, at that time just what the impurities were in the old lead. So that was a great help to us, and we copied those alloys when we started making our, our own pipes. John, at that time, did you... Did you cast the pipes on sand or on cloth? We cast on cloth. We've never cast on sand. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I do see some reasons for doing it, and um, I went to the, see the Goart organ in in Göteborg. Uh, yes. Um, Göteborg, um, and I saw what they were doing, and I participated in the casting of the, the metal there, but uh, um, we, 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 have, we have never done it. I, I think there are some reasons to try it, and uh, I still would like to, to have some uh, experience doing that, especially for the small pipes. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be a good thing to do for that. Did you see, John, uh, how, how Goart demonstrated... Uh uh, sand casting techniques at Eastman School of Music Eroy Festival maybe some uh, 15 years ago or no maybe 13 years ago um, there were a number of organ builders from America present in one tent I think they they constructed a tent and, and they, they basically built a pipe from scratch and um, I was there and wit- witnessed were you there too in, by chance no, I I didn't go to that meeting. I ha- I was working on an, on another organ at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, there were several people from our workshop who went to that right. to that meeting right. and participated with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Participated in that that demonstration. And I th- I believe we helped uh, make some parts for that casting table, and we did I, some work I, on preparing. Right. This this project, um, of course, was part of the, um, uh, I think, uh, uh, Eastman's initiative, right, to um, uh, reconstruct or even uh, uh, build a replica of, of the organ, which is uh, originally in Vilnius, Lithuania, uh, from 1976 by Adam Gottlob Kasparini, and they just recently mm-hmm. finished it, and... Um, um, uh, this church, uh, uh, Holy Ghost Church in Vilnius, has this fantastic late late Baroque instrument. And uh, in the year of two thousand, in the year of two thousand, uh, International Society of Organ Builders held a congress, a meeting uh, in Vilnius, Riga, and Tallinn, in all three Baltic states. And uh, I, I was there. You were there. I was. Yes. So yeah. we met John actually then. 
you might, you might <laughs> remember good. you might remember the the concert at Vilnius University St. John's Church when uh, I and my colleagues played this organ for the first time and uh, yeah. uh, I played the organ barely barely completed or not completed yeah, yet. yeah 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 I played E flat major Prelude and Fugue by Bach I remember at that time with that posaune pedal sounds uh, <laughs> were uh, exploding in the bass yes but we met uh, right fantastic now now it's completely different story <laughs> good times but that was uh, uh, 16 years ago right yeah. A lot of things have changed from that from that period. And John, uh, I'm very interested to know uh, about your 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 current uh, uh, projects. Uh, of course, um, what are you up to now? Well, you know, we built a big organ in New York City that is a four manual organ that's on Broadway and uh, for Grace Church. And in that organ, we made a departure from the European historic organ, and we looked more at the American classical tradition or the English cathedral organ tradition. And so we made a four-manual organ there that has um, a, a great and a swell and a choir and a solo as the four divisions, and two divisions under expression, the swell and the solo and um, with many more strings in the organ and, uh, and uh, the reeds more characteristic of the English tradition. So that was a, uh, a big departure from our North German roots, so to speak. Yes. But I yeah. think, but I think um, <coughs> excuse me, you can apply the same technique for recreating that kind of organ that you do when you build, say, a Germanic organ of historic type. The same rules apply. You go and look at the originals. You see how the pipes are made. You you copy um, a lot of the characteristics, and, and you look for the sound characteristic. And I think that, um, that organ has been very, very um, successful. And it's a wonderful organ for um, for the Episcopal Church music, and uh, in, especially in the English tradition. And uh, works really beautifully for playing the hymns and accompanying the church service, but also plays the English um, uh, Victorian organ repertoire very, very well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the Howells and the Stanford and all those uh, composers just work really, really well. And I see that um, in America, there's a, a big interest in in returning to an organ of that style. And, uh, and I think you can build a mechanical action organ that works very well in that style. And some of the, of the best of the, the Hill and the Willis organs are mechanical action organs they're not all electric action organs but you can build mechanical action organs that are that address that tradition so that's a very interesting way to to turn and um 
and I see there's a big interest in in America now, and I I see it also coming in Europe that people want electric action organs again. Mm. That they feel like there's something that they can do with an electric action organ as far as uh, control and crescendo, expression and uh, coupling at different pitches and many, many other things that are that are more characteristic of the symphonic tradition of organ building. And so I think you'll see that there are more um, electric action organs that are going to be built. I see also an interesting trend is that the Europeans are interested in the American classical organ. And so we see now E.M. Skinner organs being moved from America to Germany and to Holland and other places in Europe where they want to experience this American classical tradition. So that's a that's also a, a, a fascinating tradition. And there are a number of builders who are specializing in moving English organs, English Victorian organs, from from England to Germany and to Holland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that's also a very um, fascinating tradition. The other big trend I see is a big interest in in both America and Europe in the organs of um, Cavier Cole. Yes. People, yes. people are very interested in Cavier Cole organs. And there's just been one um, completed in Ithaca, New York by Juget Sinclair. And you look at the console and it looks just like a Cavier Cole organ. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I think that we, being historically oriented, that we'll end up building some organs in that style also. Mm-hmm. And we've already had had the opportuni- opportunity to go to France and do some study um, of a number of caveat organs. So I think that you can apply, again, the same skills that you that, that we developed for building North German historic organs and use those skills to interpret other types of historic organ building. Yeah, once you learn the mindset, historically oriented uh, organ building mindset, right, you look for certain things in um, in other styles, right, in Cavaliacol style, in English style, Central German style, even Italian style, right, you you notice right. those things that perhaps not every organ builder is even aware of, right, what, what makes a, uh, for example, English organ, um, so to say, tick or or uh, maybe uh, work right but you uh, since you lo- uh, learned the craft of building historically oriented organs over 30 or even more years right you now have the tools to do what you want basically and i think um the pipe making is one of the most important things if you have really highly trained pipe makers and you have your own pipe shop, then you have the sound of the organ in your hands. You can you can recreate any style of pipe and in any alloy, in any dimensions, and you can uh, bring to life a new kind of sound out of those pipes. If you um, 
unfortunately, there are many of of the big European builders with a big reputation. But if you buy an organ from them, you're getting pipes from all kinds of factory pipe making operations. We hold the organ in a, closely in our hands. Yes. And I think yes. I think that's really important that you do that. We make all the reed pipes, we make all the flute pipes, we make the keyboards, we make the wind chests, we make the cases, we do the architecture of the organ. And if you keep all those things tightly in your workshop, and there there are great European uh, workshops that work that way. I mean, Bernard Oberten is a really good example of that. He has a very particular way of organ building. He doesn't copy anybody else, but you, if you buy an organ from him, it's a highly individual creation mm-hmm. and it's entirely made by hand in his workshop and I think whether you love his organs or not I think that's a very valid thing to promote well that's well, completely true John um, this factory made the approach is is can go only uh, so far right uh, um, after a while those kinds of pipes are all the same right and if you put them in in a good room a reverberant room maybe that might work but but other than that uh, it's not that interesting after a while especially for organ builder right who wants some new challenges every week or every day right and if you are so so accustomed to building one one style of pipes all the time just l- like on on the on the um, like a machine right it's no longer probably artistically pleasing for the builder don't you think no and it's difficult to get a really good sound out of those pipes because if you buy from a factory that's making only pipes what is their motivation they want to make profit Exactly. And they want to make these pipes as fast as possible. So they may look okay, but our pipes have the unevenness that only slow handmaking can put to that. Um, and the other thing that we do is we take a long time to voice the organ. When the organ is finished in the church ready to to make music we take a long time to perfect the sound of the organ and there are some successful builders that don't spend very much time at all but we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. and i we always think that that's what really makes the organs good and voicing. they have a makes yeah the voicing mm-hmm. gives the organ a particularly human characteristic the, and that's the we always say the stamp of the builder. John, do you believe in the idea that uh, every pipe should uh, be somewhat individually voiced, somewhat, somewhat a little bit uneven, or sh- they should uh, fit into ensemble and be like a, like a, like a good choir, like blend, right? What is your take on this? I, I think a pipe. Every pipe should is it an individual. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we do some going up and down the keyboard when we finish voicing to to smooth out a little bit, but not too much, because I think that that um, that difference is what makes the sound of an organ interesting. 
and n never too perfect. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the pipes have to have that individual character. Now, if you're building uh, a, a Victorian English-style organ, then you have to put more nicks in the pipes, then you maybe make them a little more even, because that's the character of those instruments. So yes. Yes. I think you need to look at the style of the instrument and listen to the historic examples. And if you're building in a particular historic style, you have to you have to be willing to change how the pipes sound. John, is it possible to take uh, historically oriented organ building techniques and create something entirely new, 21st century, basically, a very novel uh, out of those same tools and, and techniques uh, that would be sort of very forward-looking too. Oh. What do you think? I suppose you could do that, but I've... Uh, I've never, I've never tried to do that. Um, there was a, there was a competition in Germany for a building of a new organ, and they were looking for new techniques and new directions. And I don't know if the project ever moved ahead, but we talked here in the workshop about uh, interfacing the organ with the internet. Mm -hmm. So you could play the organ from the internet, even if no one's in the church. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think there's possibility of um, of doing that. Um, I don't know tonally if there's anything. I mean, the organ is so tied to tradition, and and if you look at other musical instruments, they are too. Uh, are you going to make a plastic violin, or are you going to make a glass violin? Are you going to change all the rules for for what reason? I, I, um, maybe I'm short-sighted, but I don't see a big reason to do that kind of thing. I mean, the acousticum organ is a good example of that kind of direction. In Sweden, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But now I hear that they want to sell it already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I guess it was uh, Gerald Vol who developed that idea for building that organ, or or who was involved with. I think Hans Ola Eriksson. Hans Ola. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hans Ola Eriksson. Um, and um, but the reason I I asked you this question, John, is, you know. Um, uh, sometimes you go to those old instruments from the 17th century, right? And you play uh, original repertoire, and it all sounds fantastic, right? But sometimes you experiment experiment with some some novel-sounding music too on those instruments, and they might also sound a bit um, unusual, but still quite convincing. For example, in 2000. In the year of 2000 in Gothenburg, Sweden, they got this uh, organ academy where they inaugurated this um, North German style organ in Orgrita New Church. And I remember v witnessing a concert by, by Hans Davidson, who played uh, Volumina by Georgi Ligeti, basically avant-garde yeah. piece from the middle of the 20th century. 
uh, on the 17th century style organ mechanical action very flexible winding every minton temperament right and he had two assistants helping him to and bell everything was done uh, pumping by bellows by foot but um, the result was quite uh, quite um, shockingly um, impressive i would say too so that's what the reason i asked you about is it is it possible to take you know and uh, and experiment uh, some new things with old techniques old uh, old style too maybe maybe there is more to to the uh, historically oriented organ building than than the tradition don't you think or I don't know. Well, I think just I think what Hans did was I think that's um, certainly a, a direction worth exploring. Mm-hmm. And and if you look at uh, even the smallest of the historic organs, they're expressive. They're expressive because of the individuality of the voicing. They're expressive because, as you mentioned, the flexibility of the winding. Mm-hmm. There, they have a. They're expressive because of their tuning and temperament, um, the tuning systems, um, more so than an organ that's in, for example, equal temperament. So I think the boundaries are are more open there, and I think there's more research that can be done in those um, those boundaries. And I think we we need to learn, for example, more about the how what a Gothic organ was really like and. And recently, there have been a number of portative organs that have been built um, with Gothic scaling, where the, the pipes do not progress very much, but they're narrow in the bass and, and large in the treble. The pipe scale is large in the treble. The cut-ups are fairly low, and the bellows has uh, ability to take in a lot of air, so you can change the wind pressure, and I think Gothic organs were made that way. Um, I always look at the picture of the, the bellows from Halberstadt and the pumpers not only ha- can you see some of them are pulling up on the handle above the bellows but some are pushing on the bottom of the handle. So I wonder if you could um, at points of emphasis or crescendo in the in the music that the pumpers could raise the wind pressure of the organ and cause the organ to get louder and louder and with the portative, you can actually make the pipes overblow, so you can play in the octave um, harmonic or the or the first harmonic. You can play at the fifth. So there's all manner of things, and in, in even a small organ like that that we don't know about, and we can uh, push the boundaries to expand. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, John. Uh, before we close our conversation. Um, can you go back in time when you first started building organs, right? Can uh, do you do you remember uh, one thing or two that you wish you knew back then that might have made a, a whole lot of difference for you? What would that be? We. It was very difficult for us to be really efficient at what we did. We were very slow compared with, say, the European builders at the time who had really efficient ways of doing things. And 
Um, I think that it would been would have been much easier on us had we learned some of those techniques to to make the work go faster. Right. And it was always right. uh, it was always difficult for us to charge enough money for our organ building so that we could be secure. Yes. And yes. we always uh, we always complained that we were always the biggest donor for the building of the organ that it. You know, it, it it was hard on us, and uh, so I I think that was a big um, a big thing. And the other thing is that there were times when it was difficult for us to get good information out of uh, good cooperation from the European builders. We we American builders, I think we were always. Um, it was amazing that we. It, among five or six or ten American builders, we shared information all the time and freely. And the European builders never could understand right. that. We that we we could call up Paul Fritz or John Brumbaugh or Richardson Fawkes, we um, or C. B. Fisk, and we got information that went among the shops. And I think that made us all a lot stronger. But there were times when we went to Europe and we just had a stone wall. We could not, we couldn't get into the organs. We we couldn't go into the organ shops because I think the competition in Europe was a different kind of thing. Well, so, I, I would I would say you're right, uh, and it's um, it's just too bad that uh, this way in Europe uh, they do business, right? They, I think uh, collaboration is the 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 thing, not competition anymore. And uh, I think collective, the value of collective mind uh, and uh, uh, collective mindset is much more valuable than any of the individual, right? So if if you mention six or five uh, organ builders collaborating, you will learn uh, probably not six times more than 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 if you did it by yourself, but tens of uh, times more than than usually right and I see that um, I think it's improved in Europe in the past years and and the projects like Hans Davidson at the uh, the the North European organ project um, in Göteborg I think that was a great thing for the European builders because there were five or six builders that worked together there and I think they learned that that was a great thing for them to exchange that information and, and uh, collaborate in that project. Mm -hmm. So I see it's a lot better. And and recently there have been American builders who have gone to Europe and uh, collaborated on voicing and, and uh, other technical parts of projects. So uh, that, that collaboration even is reaching from America back into Europe now. Uh, I, I would like to see... Um, that organ experts, organ consultants in Europe would be willing to consider American builders as worthy uh, competitors in some of these projects. And um, I know now that there's a project to recreate a Niehoff organ. Mm -hmm. And we, we built a Niehoff-style organ in 1984 at Holy Cross College, and I think it was a very successful instrument. But I don't see that there's any interest in 
in asking us to collaborate or uh, make proposals in Europe. And I think that the European organists are missing out on something because I think we, uh, we could offer a lot to the organ culture in Europe. Exactly. 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 And it would uh, serve everyone in our profession so so much in the future too. So, uh, John, thank you so much for your time and generosity. And before we end our conversation, of course, our listeners would like to find out more about you and your work. Can you give us uh, the link where they can click and uh, find out more about? Uh, your shop and what you're doing we have a website at taylorandbooty.com and we also have a Facebook page uh, Taylor and Booty but if you just search us in Google you can get all those links so that's fairly easy we have a fairly strong presence on the internet great I will and we Include Hope those links on the on the uh, on the description of of this podcast conversation too, so that people who will be listening uh, from the website could literally click on the link too. Well, thank you very much for asking me, and it's been fun to talk to you. Thank you so much, John. I wish you amazing uh, uh, years ahead of you. Uh, keep pushing the boundaries and keep uh, building uh, the the new new old instruments or old new instruments right in a different way that than you previously thought was possible and uh, keep i hope you will reach uh, opus 80 at least or opus <laughs> uh, you know whatever uh, whatever your uh, milestone is i hope you will reach it one day at a time right <laughs> okay and nice to see you again and i hope to see you soon in person Okay, many greetings to 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 George too, and uh, I hope uh, he will be doing also much much uh, creative work this year too. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavichus. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you online really soon.